Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we hope to apply faith to life. We are four brothers and pastors. I am Sam. I'm John. David Moon. We are here to have a conversation we hope will be engaging, encouraging, and equipping for our church. Any response that you heard from last week's episode? Uh, not really. No. Yeah, they, they really liked it. Uh, they, as in my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I think a small group uh, talked about how they just appreciated it. Uh-huh. Not too many follow-up questions, so... Yeah, there's a, I was surprised that there was no question uh, sent over to us at podcast at kspc.org. So <laughs> please utilize it. So we want to have dialogue and it's no place. Maybe there is a sentiment where people feel like they're going to get outed maybe for the faith. What do you think? Maybe do you think that's one of the reasons why people don't want to ask? Because they think hmm. uh, it's going to show where they are spiritually or you know what I'm saying? Uh, we would want to suggest if that is you. Uh, that uh, you shouldn't be afraid uh, that uh, there is safety and transparency in this, uh, of course, with a lot of pastoral discretion. So uh, we want to create an environment where people can freely talk and, and uh, where we can address one another openly. And so uh, please bring your questions. Uh, I remember seeing a, uh, a post by uh, a Christian apologetics group and uh, they had a, a blog, an article uh, saying, uh, please stop answering questions that I never asked. And that's one of the greatest fears of doing this uh, podcast series is that we're afraid of addressing issues that you might not even be interested or or uh, uh, never asked of us to talk about in the first place. And so we really encourage a lot of feedback and a lot of questions because we want to talk about issues that are currently on your mind. Of course, what we talk about will have eternal doctrinal value. Uh, but because there's so many things to talk about, we want to talk about what you uh, would love to hear. So, Yeah, and just to also as a disclaimer, your, whoever sends these questions will never reveal your, ans- uh, your name in the podcast, but we'll reveal it to amongst the pastors. <laughs> That's it. And because we just want to know, uh, I forward the email all to all, our, all of our pastors too, so they can read it and prepare for it uh, if we're going to address it that week. And so just to let people know, too, um, it would just be more internal with us pastors. But that's a really good point. I remember Kevin DeYoung talking about that, how I think it was the book of James or one of the books that was starting exegetically for his uh, sermon. Mm -hmm. What do you call it? uh, Series. Mm -hmm. And he felt obligated to talk about the authorship of the the book. Mm -hmm. But he realized it caused more problems within this church (laughs) because now they like questions of like, I never knew that. I never uh-huh. knew that this book, I forget which book was, but like why this book was in question or the authorship was in question. And so it, it caused more, <laughs> if anything, unnecessary issue within the church mm-hmm. or something yeah. like that. I forget what it was, but mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I hope you are all enjoying the podcast and I hope we will be, it really is empowering and encouraging and equipping for you. And so just give us an email, let us know how it is. And um, I feel like we're just speaking into a, to our cell phones that's it (laughs) today we're going to continue our conversation with the gifts of the spirit as we shared last week and this week we're going to talk um we'll see how many many we can go through but really focus on each of the spiritual gifts and see its properties its characteristics and yeah just to shed more light into it and so uh, what are some helpful categories that we can first start with as we begin this conversation I think even before categories, like some parameters of this conversation might be good because we might start rambling on every single gift and that would take a long time. Uh, I would say talking about what it is, defining the gift, but also talking about its validity today. And if it is valid, 
how it should be exercises uh, exercised within a local church in a way that establishes a body i think if we talk about it in that uh, concentrated manner that this will be very useful for all of us yeah and another question i'd like to ask as we start our spiritual gifts our interpretation of it or our stance of it is it a primary issue or is it a secondary issue i would say it's a uh, secondary issue uh to the faith uh just uh i'm not conjecturing or i'm not you know uh just theorizing that it's a secondary issue there have been long-standing uh, doctrinal stances on what is primary uh, which would keep us from having fellowship in the lord and which is more secondary which you know it would characterize and color the flavor of a church but not necessarily make that person a non-christian for example and so when it comes to the primary doctrines that set christians and non-christians apart you can't compromise on christology the nature identity of christ uh, theology, like the nature and identity of God, uh, three in one, you know, uh, uh, the Trinitarian doctrine versus any other form of theism. And then also uh, another central doctrine is soteriology, like how are you saved? How are you justified? Um, and then if you move on from those primary doctrines to the secondary ones, uh, oftentimes this is where you get the division between uh, Baptist and Presbyterian, for example, like how to structure a local church body or uh, whether you can, you know, baptize infants or not. And another one is uh, pneumatology. So uh, uh, according to the Holy Spirit or the study of the Holy Spirit under that, uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so the gifts of the Holy Spirit might determine which church is a better fit for you. Uh, but it doesn't mean that you are uh, not saved, for example, or not a brother in Christ. And so it's, I think it's good to proceed along the understanding that this doesn't destroy um, our relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, and this is a follow-up question because it seems like, especially re within Reformed churches, there's a notion of stay away from charismatic churches. Where is this coming from? Because mm -hmm. it does sound, I think from a church member's perspective, charismatic churches are essentially, and I'm sorry for the use of this word, but it sounds as if, like we're saying that they're cults okay. in a certain sense stay away from healing ministry churches for example mm -hmm. how would we respond to that a really really important type uh, that's a really important question and i think i don't want to just characterize all charismatic churches with one with one large brush but even within charismatic churches there are different inclinations for example uh, there is a way to be wrong on a secondary issue that bleeds into the first category of uh, of primary doctrines so for example, if you have a person who differs on spiritual gifts and they say that prophecy is valid today, then what that does trickle into is the authority of the Word of God. Uh, sometimes charismatic people who believe that prophecy is still valid for today add on to the Word of God and therefore in doing so they touch upon the theology, the Christology, the, uh, you know, uh, the uh, knowledge of soteriology. And so um, if you have a way to fiddle with the primary doctrines by being loose in your secondary uh, uh, category uh, of doctrines, uh, so prof prophetical ministries I found to be just empirically very harmful for the church because it causes people who listen to that pastor to rely upon the pastor for the truth and not the word of God. Uh, so the Word of God has been revealed, the, the canon is complete, and you cannot add or subtract from that. Any spiritual gifts that encroaches upon that is a, is a problematic issue that goes near towards the primary category of doctrine. Um, but healing, um, that could be another issue, uh, but let's keep on talking. Yeah, yeah I think um, when we talk about churches that really promote the uh, charismatic gifts, um, I think that Oftentimes, it's just very easy to get into this like 
uh, defensive mode without actually hearing them out, like further uh, investigation, uh, studying and giving them uh, a chance to even explain themselves. Uh, one of my good friends is a minister at a uh, charismatic church somewhere in the United States. And, you know, we disagree on uh, these secondary issues. Um, but the way that we disagree is not in contradiction to how much we love one another and how we want to uh, express love and care and concern uh, for one another. And I think uh, I, I really appreciate that about my friend because even though we're saying that uh, the speaking in tongues, for example, is a secondary issue, it does not mean that it is an unworthy issue. So sometimes when people say like, oh, you know, that's a secondary issue, that almost can be synonymous to it doesn't matter as much. But because we know that the secondary issues do come from the Word of God, uh, we ought to study more deeper, more fuller, more richly uh, with excitement and care because it all concerns about uh, God. Hence, when we say things like, you know, when we investigate certain churches and they are so gift-centered and not the giver-centered, we would say that that's probably uh, not a good week-to-week diet as opposed to a church that is centered upon the Word of God, uh, the Bible, um, and good teaching and good doctrine, etc. So I, I, I do want to uh, extend an apology if that has been carried out over by like Reformed churches where we are so eager to kind of uh, do like a uh, broad stroke uh, all charismatics are bad or all charismatics are evil. Uh, don't go to those churches, etc. Um, so hopefully th- those are uh, things that we deny. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently uh, <clears throat> typed up the caption for um, a, a conference, a upcoming conference called the Roadmap Conference. And David Platt is one of the speakers there. And uh, he found uh, within... Uh, I think it's First Corinthians three and four. He found twelve traits of a biblical church, and so it's like adding on to the nine marks of the church that Mark Dever has, and adding on three more characteristics, uh, where basically you see like biblical preaching, you know, biblical fellowship, biblical evangelism, biblical leadership, biblical discipleship, and the thing that I found there was really interesting. He never talks about biblical, you know, exercise of gifts, and I think the whole context of that was that every purpose of the church is to be empowered by the gifts of the holy spirit and so once again the directional use of your gifts i think is hugely important um so for example if you have any prophetical gift if you have any you know healing gifts for example that if they are not used in line with doing god's church in god's way um not in line with you know building up a biblical church but it's for different purposes uh, that's where the danger is. And so the Holy Spirit will remain consistent with the character of God. He will do things consistent with his nature, which is to reveal Christ, to uh, help people understand and remember scripture. And he will never contradict the word of God. And so if you see churches that are using gifts in a way that do not promote uh, its functions well, uh, then it's probably a misuse of the gifts of God, uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What uh, misuse uh, examples of misuse did you guys ever seen, witness? 
here's one I one that I see the most common even in reformed churches because uh, like it's it's easy to find outlier or, or outliers where you see like oh this person is you know abusing prophecy uh, but we don't see that in too many reformed churches but here's what I do see in a lot of reformed churches there are people with excellent gifts of discernment and they see into the nature of people and how the organization works but they use their discernment to tear people apart and so they cause division because they notice a flaw in someone or the mistake of a leader or they know scripture and apply it in a very harmful way where it causes division and so once again it's a gr great and legitimate gift that i would encourage everyone to have a gift of discernment um, uh, of seeing you know god's truth in in things uh, but if you use it to tear the body of christ apart and to argue about the legitimacy of a local church, for example, um, I do see great harm coming from that. And once again, uh, the the spirit of the the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, will want us to exercise gifts uh, that is compatible with the purpose of a church. One example that I had experience was I forget what they called it, holy laughter or something like that, and it was something that was very hard for me to process. Uh, to understand what was going on. But what I did understand was that I couldn't understand the Word of God, for example. And so that was a quite of a hindrance for me. And for those of you who don't know what holy laughter is, I would say it's exactly what it sounds like minus the holy part. It's just uncontrolled fits of laughter and the Holy Spirit rests upon you. And I think the idea is, and please forgive me, folks, if I um, don't know exactly what the idea is, but from the outside perspective, it just feels like since the Holy Spirit rests upon you, you're filled with joy. Uh, if I could, you know, just put it positively uh, from the outside perspective. However, I wonder if when the Holy Spirit rests upon you, would not the gospel become that much clearer? or the Word of God becomes so much clearer. Uh, and I felt like that was a little bit lacking. Uh, and so I think that would be, for me, uh, somewhat of an abuse, because this was during uh, a worship service. Yeah. And so I couldn't understand what was going on, even within as the preacher was talking. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, that, was, that would be an easy uh, one, just one of just a few, one of a uh, few examples that I could remember yeah. experiencing. And I think in this day, day and age of expressive individualism, like a lot of people even utilize the gifts to express themselves. And so like they have to laugh it out. Um, but, you know, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the marking definitions of a Holy Spirit filled person is uh, self-denial um, and self-control and also consideration of others around you. And so instead of laughing and, you know, causing disruption to the worship service, uh, your attention would probably go towards benefiting the person next to you that he would understand the gospel better. And that is how to exercise spiritual gifts in a way uh, that's more holistic, uh, with self-control, with consideration of others, with consideration of the glory of God. And so there's a lot of contextual factors that we do need to consider, um, uh, especially within our church as well, because we're now talking about how this impacts a local church, uh, and in our case, KCPC. I remember when I first heard tongue when I was a kid, it was the scariest experience for me. It sounded kind of, as a kid, I was like six, seven years old. I was at a retreat center, and then I remember hearing it. It was a room full of people. It was in the nighttime, like dark, with, in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounded, and I don't, I, I, it's, it's, I really started to use this word, but it sounded demonic. 
<laughs> so I started running away, and it was a, uh, yeah. And I think in that moment, um, as a kid, it did press into my soul like, well, this is kind of strange. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no, I think with the encounters that I had, especially in order of worship, it was a disruption. And I've had like people who would lead prayer, but then they would be speaking in tongues. So I didn't know what to pray. I didn't know if I was being led. Uh, I was confused during that moment. And if anything, I was more captivated with trying to understand that person rather than praying to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a high school student, so in a, certain, in a certain way, I was immature in my faith, and so I didn't know how to go past that. Mm-hmm. But thinking about it now, yeah, I think there was a disruption of the order of worship there that mm-hmm. I think I experienced. Speaking of maturity and immaturity, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is going to be helpful for those who are listening, I don't think it matters if you're a pastor or not, to be honest with you. I remember during seminary, you know, Sam and all of us went to uh, Gordon. Uh, during the, uh, the chapel services sometimes, uh, I would just try to pray. And then, like, people would just start speaking in tongues, for example. And I didn't really understand what was going on. But I, what I couldn't do well was to pray myself. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that I'm mature. And certainly, I have a, long, uh, a lot more growing to do. Um, but it was certainly uh, a distraction, yeah. Because the way I see maturity is that there's part of maturity is clarity in expressing uh, what you know, so that others can benefit from it too. Um, but yeah. Uh, before we get into this, one more question that I think I hear. Uh, we we are quite. Um, one of the things that charismatic brothers and sisters, now that we addressed it, there are genuine brothers and sisters of Christ, of faith, under Christianity. One of the things that I hear from the charismatic side to the reform side is that why is your worship so dead? Mm-hmm. It seems like it's so lifeless. It seems like worship is so just lacking of joy. Mm-hmm. How do we respond to that? Uh, joy should be a legitimate response to the Word of God. Um, if the Word of God is understood and perceived correctly, it leads to the joyful abundance of you know worship and, and glorifying God and, and joy and salvation, joy and resurrection. Um, but here's the thing, uh, joy is not just an external emotion that comes upon you in an alien way, and nor is spiritual power, but uh, you'll, you'll understand in 1 Corinthians, uh, these gifts of the Holy Spirit are processed by uh, the mind. Uh, and so, uh, like I think someone said it this way, I mean, the mind and the heart are connected, uh, but it's through the mind uh, that the heart is also revitalized. And so uh, you have to understand concepts, you have to understand the Word of God in order for there to be processed joy. And so, of course, in a worship service, you know, if we see a lack of, you know, uh, amens and a lack of like shouting in the air or like a laugh of laughter or a lack of laughter, I mean, that is, uh, you know, um, I don't see that as negative. And I don't always see joy as an outburst of a, of a certain emotion. Um, I see joy as the compounded truth of God holistically. And there are people who are living in broken situations and they might find joy in the form of peace in their minds. And some might find clarity in the midst of confusion, uh, clarity. And so uh, we can't just limit uh, the benefits of a good worship service just to power and joy, but to um, everything that surrounds sanctification. And so are you becoming more clear about the gospel? Are you finding more assurance about your faith? Are you becoming more sure about the identity of Christ and what he, who he is and what he's done? And is there more holistic discipline and training in your life that aims to accord to that? And so I would say there is power and there is joy, 
but not in the way that the world has conceptualized it in, uh, but there is joy and power in being conformed to God uh, through the Holy Spirit. It's also very difficult for our human eyes to see what joy really looks like because we can fake that as well, even with the amens. Um, I think um, uh, in a passage of scripture that is very sobering for me is when uh, we see Christians, supposed Christians at the end of their life uh, and they are not allowed into uh, the kingdom of God. And they're like genuinely wondering why. When were you thirsty? When were you hungry? When were you naked? Uh, all of these things. And and these people were probably in good and high standings uh, within the church, uh, for example. Um, and so these visible signs don't necessarily guarantee it. One of the things that Jesus teaches us is that what he sees in our worship is those who worship in spirit and in truth. And so truth is kind of easy in terms of, are we teaching the truth? Seeing the spirit is only what God can do. Mm. Um, That's why his spirit and in truth, uh, 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 worshiping comes from our spirit uh, to God in spirit and in truth. And so for me, you know, I, I try to have an open mind. Let's say if our service is, quote unquote, what was it, like dead? Mm-hmm. Um, let's say it's like that. Maybe you might think it's for a funeral, uh, what have you. Um, okay, we'll take that criticism. However, however, uh, you know, not everybody has your life. Some people have had really rough weeks. Some people have had, um, are returning back to church. Uh, Some people uh, just came in uh, fighting in the car with their spouse, for example. And what they really do need is not more of showmanship, uh, but going before the audience of one, Jesus. And that really does look different for a lot of people. And uh, if we go to the other extreme, I mean, as pastors, we brothers, we've personally been in or we've led retreats where there were great emotional outbursts and people cried and repented and really, you know, really felt a lot uh, f- coming from God, really blessed, like hashtag blessed would be, you know, how they would express that experience. But at the end of a lot of retreats, you know, I asked them, what did you take away from this retreat that you can practice starting from tomorrow when you've gone home? And if they're unable to provide uh, a single point that their, their mind has processed and they're able to apply to their lives in discipleship, then I, I asked them, you know, what was all that joy for? Like, uh, you know, it could be a great reaffirmation of your standing with God, um, but there has to be something that contributes to your, to your continued walk with God and the emotions will wear off, but what remains is your training and, and the habits that you accumulate uh, throughout your lifetime. And so if a result if a retreat only results in heightened emotions, and we've all gone through that up and downs and roller coasters of emotions, uh, and yet we become still, you know, less trained, uh, you know, not as, uh, like, not pursuing sanctification, then I see actually emotion confusing people, making them think that they're actually uh, more in tune with Christ than they actually are in terms of holistic obedience and repentance and following the Lord. Mm. That's another episode, retreats. Oh, that's a good one. Should we continue them? Yeah. <laughs> uh, to summarize and uh, really st- to start moving with the conversation, especially when we talk about the uh, each of the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit are gifts of grace granted by the Holy Spirit, and they're they're designed for the edification of the church, which we talked about, which we spoke about last week. Uh, Pastor David gave us uh, the tripartite, 
I was just like, man, that's a great joke. Like, what's apartheid? But anyway, <laughs> um, two categories that we can helpfully another two another category for us to think of the gifts, the gifts of speaking and the gifts of serving. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to uh, first speak on let's let's speak on gifts of speaking. And uh, we can look at if you get, if you turn to the word, there are four passages where you can find the list of the spirit uh, gifts of the spirit. And not all of these uh, lists are uh, inclusive of all the other ones. And so Romans twelve six through eight, First Corinthians twelve seven through ten, First Corinthians twelve twenty eight, and Ephesians four and eleven. And the gifts of speaking, what they include is they include apostleship, prophecy, teaching, evangelism, exhortation, discerning spirits, speaking in tongues, and interpreting tongues. Gifts of service include leadership, helps, mercy, giving, faith, healing, and miracles. And so let's first uh, tackle gifts of speaking. And we'll first, uh, let's talk about apostleship. Can I do just a few more um, preliminary like, yeah. things? And so just one point to clarify, Ephesians 4.11, often people don't include that as a listing of these spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4.11 is more seen as a list of offices which exercises some or multiple of these gifts. And so Ephesians 4.11, please uh, think of it as the type of offices that were valid in the, uh, in the New Testament church. Um, so I think with that understanding, uh, another question I wanted to ask you brothers is, uh, do you think that all these uh, gifts here are complete in and of itself, or do you think it's a guideline towards availability of more gifts that haven't been listed here? And I think that's a pretty crucial distinction. I mean, if this is the end all and be all, uh, you know, are there other gifts that are validly from the Holy Spirit which haven't been listed here? Or is this a comprehensive list and there can't be other types of gifts? What do you think? I think for me, going beyond these gifts, Mm -hmm. outside of these gifts, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say without a shadow of a doubt Mm -hmm. that this is comprehensive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Having said that, Mm Going outside of these two categories, mm-hmm. it is hard for me to verify and reduplicate. Yeah, yeah. And so that's all I'm saying. I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's not real. I'm not mm-hmm. saying I'm not going to question the billions of Christian out there who've experienced other sorts of gifts. And last week we did talk about power gifts, for example. Um, but yeah, I, I, all I'm, all, I'm comfortable enough to say that the further and further you get out of these two categories, it's just harder to... Um, for me to verify and reduplicate those results but I also don't feel comfortable in calling like billions of my brothers and sisters liars <laughs> and as as long as it doesn't contradict the word of God it does as it edifies the church and you know some situations where it could be where that particular demographic or area or region in the world might not have the Bible for example um, and so yeah what are some gifts that you experienced that were outside the categories here that I'm curious to hear. Because one of the things that I'm thinking is mm-hmm. generally they should fall within under a category. So yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to think, yeah, are there gift things that you've seen or experienced or heard of that were outside of these biblical texts? Um, I think people, that's where it becomes blurry and Pastor John said it. The reason that it's hard to continue a conversation even about this topic is because people haven't been trying to identify more gifts outside of this list because they're trying to, you know, once again, stay, you know, safely within Reformed theology. And so, like, even, like, even my, like, limited understanding, like, I can't really think of 
other different types of gifts that, that would uh, go beyond the categories of what we have here. And so it's more of a principled question, like is this like the comprehensive list that we have or are there different types of gifts that we can also expect? So is it yeah. like gold dust, slaying of the spirit, is that another, is that a part of it? Is that so, what you're referring to? or? Those are highly spiritualized practices, but I don't know if they're gifts or not. And right. so, but um, yeah, there is, you know, charismatic churches that, you know, practice like, uh, what's it called? Like uh, anointment absorbing, like you lay upon the, uh, you lay upon the grave of a passed away pastor and you try to receive his gifts. And there's practices like that in like, uh, we are churches, like starting with a B. <laughs> um, and so, uh, but that's not a spiritual gift. And so like, it's hard to categorize that as a spiritual gift. It's more like a ritual. And so once again, like I think the understanding of whether this is comprehensive versus whether this is like um, uh, just a sample, uh, like that's kind of a at least an important criteria that to for the individual believer to have um, before they start looking for other th stuff as well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm cautious to go outside the realm of scripture, mm -hmm. but really certainly open to see and if that gift and in, 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 in the way that it mm -hmm. serves especially biblically speaking mm -hmm. to edify the church to bring people to Christ mm -hmm. to know Christ known more then mm -hmm. I'd be open to hear and see what kind of gift this is mm -hmm. and so I just I do want to tread that line carefully especially mm -hmm. if there is a gifting that is outside these categories but I want to hear yeah, what would what would it, what would be a gift that's outside of these passages well that's where it gets really confusing, right? Because we're now talking about out things that are outside of the category. So I've actually seen this one. Um, well, this in this one uh, church, they invited a um, people with uh, gifts of like, uh, I would say like power gifts, like prophecy and whatever. We talked about that. But they had a, a clear container. Any container that you would find at like, um, office Depot or whatever and inside the container was a Bible and they proclaimed that the Bible would naturally just produce oil and by gallons of oil just producing out of this book and if you drink from the oil you would be healed um, that to me is way beyond what scripture speaks of and it was very outside of my comfort zone uh, and enough for me to reject it you know uh, and to say that that is not of God I think on a practical level like I think some of our young adults struggle with this it's like you know well you don't see listed here like what about dreams and visions you know um, are they valid ways of confirming God's revelation or God's will for me personally? Uh, or, you know, you're walking by, you know, a store and there's like a, a sequence of words that you see. And like, is that God speaking to you? I mean, that doesn't necessarily fall within any of these categories, maybe except working of miracles. Um, but you don't see a lot of revelatory gifts here, for example, except prophecy or teaching, right? So I think there are practical, I think, confused gifts out there where people can't really put it in one of these categories but they often rely upon on a very pretty daily basis is like you know intuition uh, like is my intuition confirming what God is telling me um, yeah and, and so like exorcism uh, like within the Catholic Church like would that fall under gifts of you know um, working on miracles or healing uh, it's not really listed um, but I think a lot of church 
traditions differ in terms of the completeness or the comprehensiveness of this list. So uh, it's just a good category for us to have. And uh, it would take hours just talking about what examples are out there, I think. So. Yeah. What about why do we feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. as it goes further and further away from Scripture or even completely outside of Scripture? Mm -hmm. uh, just one word quickly would be uh, uh, the potential to abuse it. Because if there isn't a designated gift um, and you don't have the uh, like general criteria that it has to be you know, uh, consistent with the Word of God, it has to edify the church, it has to be done in submission, uh, it has to be for people to you know, know Christ more, uh, there's too many ways of abusing it without those categories in place. And so uh, let's say you have the gift of seeing patterns in a, on a piece of burnt toast. Uh, like, you know, does it conform with, you know, all the categories we talked about? And if it's a completely new gift that's being pioneered right now, then people can attach all sorts of interpretations to it and draw many people away from the faith or the normalcy of the faith. And so I would say uh, potential of abuse is a very big concern, especially when we're talking about gifts that have not been clearly identified. Yeah, uh, Here's another one. How do you know, if it's outside of the biblical categories, how do you know that it's from God? There's nothing to help you verify it, right? I mean, it could be from the evil one. Uh, and you would just, I, I think the biggest uh, counter to that is, why would God give me, you know, these great gifts? Uh, you know, uh, or, or, or why would Satan give me these great gifts? And it's like, well, you know, Satan does come as an angel of light. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's, he's, he's very deceptive. Mm -hmm. And so... And sorry, just one more thing. If any gifts lead to self-glorifying or to division or to the anger, um, I say that that's really not a great use of gifts. Especially last time, uh, I'm pretty sure we talked about this, that the fruit of the Holy Spirit has to exceed uh, and be the foundation for how you exercise your gifts. And so if your use of gifts goes against the character um, of God in your life, then uh, one that's another criteria to help you judge whether your gift is being used responsibly. So uh, rather than having a category of lists or like a, a list of gifts, uh, it's more of how to use these gifts that, uh, that show how ready you are to exercise those gifts, actually. The catch of this episode is that we're never going to get to the list. <laughs> yeah, we're probably not going to get to <laughs> No, part three, part three. <laughs> That's Stay why tuned, I said guys. a tripartite division. <laughs> we, keep, we keep going. Uh, but yeah, let's first with, um, I'll start with apostles. I think that one is... What is apostleship? What is the gift of apostleship? That's a hugely debated question because a lot of uh, African... Uh, charismatic movements say that they're an apostle, like a lot of the leaders there. And so what is apostleship as from what, what you know? Those who are directly called by Christ. Directly called by Christ. And so uh, now we're already diverging from their meaning. Uh, so uh, some people say apostleship is the gift to you know plant and create new churches. Um, and I just don't know where they get that definition. Uh, so you know, being, being witness to the uh, uh, life events of Christ um, and then also being directly called by Christ, those are the criteria, you know, and I, th I think there's one more um, that makes you an apostle, and so there were only the original apostles that Jesus himself called. And so, like, this is a question, like, is the gift of apostleship, you know, available even today, uh, based on the definition, though? And so, that's why definitions are so important. People have different definitions for this. Anything else? 
And even, like, is it a gift or is it a position? Like an office? <laughs> yeah, I think the danger of apostleship, if anyone is claiming to be an apostle, is that they are potentially can add into the Word of God. And so if that person is adding into the Word of God, such like, um, uh, and, and things that might contradict God's Word, clearly God does not contradict Himself. He is true. Uh, he is all-knowing. And so apostle, the class of apostleship, I'm very... Uh, that that for me is a red flag because uh, just because of simply those issues that mm-hmm. uh, stri- the scripture then becomes of a uh, matter of question mm-hmm. and but then the word of God is the word of God. I agree with uh, what Pastor Sam has said about how if you believe that you are an apostle or if you are at a church where a pastor calls himself or herself, I guess depending upon what church you go to, an apostle. It certainly is a red flag. It certainly is a red flag because one of the requirements of of being an apostle is that one saw Jesus throughout his uh, ministerial uh, life here on earth, not just people who follow after Jesus's teaching. That's one of the requirements. And so what does that mean today in 2021 that you have seen all of these things um, and now you have the right gift and position office of that of an apostle? The only person uh, that we see even hold legitimacy, even by worldly standards, to have that which uh, reformed uh, evangelicals would denounce is the pope. Uh, on the Catholic side, that he has absolute authority, uh, and he has a city to himself, the Vatican, uh, and he. One of the ways in which one, uh, uh, a pope is um, set is that he is able to perform a miracle, for example. So these are way too extra, uh, unnecessary for us. Uh, the, the you know the people that the apostle Paul disciples, for example, like Timothy. He doesn't raise Timothy to be an apostle but a good pastor. And uh, our last conversation last week was about the very definition of cessationism. Like one of the definitions of cessationism is that the apostolic gifts have stopped. Like the gifts of the office of apostleship have stopped. And uh, mostly those were relating to like the power gifts. And so um, uh, afterwards, like the revelational, uh, the, rev- uh, the revelational and the power gifts of scripture ceased with uh, the apostolic calling, and now what we have here are the the two other categories, which is teaching and and service. Uh, so that's uh, this is such a huge gift that it actually creates a before and after. Um, cessationism is defined by whether the apostolic gifts continue or not. And so once again, huge reflector. Uh, Follow up question: uh, Something that one of our listeners might be asking. Paul never saw or was never clear with seeing Christ in his ministry. Yeah, never clear. So how about Paul? Paul is an apostle. Yeah. He saw a, a vision of the risen Lord um, uh, on his road in Damascus, and it was confirmed by the other apostles. And so if, uh, this was a third criteria that was missing. The apostles were uh, uh, mutually uh, uh, reaffirming of who had apostleship status. They were um, agreeing upon each other who had apostleship status. And so Paul was accepted into the fellowship of the apostles as having been legitimately called by Christ himself, even though it was post-resurrection. Yeah. And that's why Paul says he's the least of all apostles, because 
he was uh, different out of all the apostles, mm-hmm. but certainly called by Christ directly to be mm-hmm. an apostle. Mm-hmm. Next, this one's a big, big one. Prophecy. Definitions, once again. Um, I would say, uh, the last time I talked about this uh, in the past episode, I basically said prophecy is uh, applying scripture to current circumstances. And if you do apply Uh, the gospel and God's moral character and his justice and his goodness to a fallen society, sometimes you can accurately predict how God views that society. And so while it does sound something like, you know, oh, God, you know, um, uh, is against, you know, uh, what's happening here in the United States where he's against this. And some people try to go like a little too far in that direction. However, the the uh, crux of the uh, of the position is is that you're applying scripture to uh, current circumstances. And so if you look at all the Old Testament prophets, what they did was they applied the blessings and the curses of Deuteronomy to their social situation. And every time their people were breaking the covenant with God, uh, they would accurately predict this is what's going to happen because it's been promised in Deuteronomy. All they were doing was applying um, the Old Testament with visionary um, uh, 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 you know, insight into their society. So uh, prophecy, I would not say it's just about telling the future. Um, it's about applying the word of God in a way that it applies to current circumstances. I think when we talk about prophecy, we want to talk about it in mm, fanatical ways, like telling the future, etc. But Honestly, you know, depending upon how you define prophecy, the way that I see it is that if you uh, attend worship service here at KCPC every Sunday, you are being exposed to prophecy, not the prophecy of John Huang or Pastor David Moon or Pastor Sam, Pastor John Yoon. But as we are exegeting the passage of Scripture, we are uh, exegeting what God is telling us here today, not through human beings like us, but through the Word of God, we're just simply and hopefully plainly explaining uh, and showing what the Word of God says. So it's not even about uh, the one who prophesies, but what is being prophesied. And so hopefully it's just nothing but the Word of God. So uh, to summarize, or or to be clear, do prophecies, is it possible? Insofar as it is being defied, defined as the Word of God preached, that's something that I can verify and reduplicate and be judged in terms of accuracy or not, week to week or every time that I, I do it. That is uh, the safest answer for me. Yeah. And oftentimes, we, like, I think even Reformed brothers are, are comfortable with using this term. It's like, the prophetical voice like have we lost our prophetical voice usually means has the church stopped being relevant to society because they're u- relying upon the word of god to engage with society and so when it comes to that applicational sense i still do believe that prof- the prophetical voice is still needed and and available um, but when it comes to and so when the when the predominance of de- defining prophecy goes towards applying the word of god i see as as very valid but when it goes to the accuracy of predictions, then I would say uh, that's there's a lot of red flags there. There have been a lot of cults that have tried to predict when Jesus would come back, and 
just by that one mistake alone, uh, they just went out of existence because all of them were proven wrong. And so don't let your prophecy be about predictability and accuracy. It's about um, uh, explaining and applying the Word of God well to our current society. How about that predictability actually leads a person more to faith, like genuinely leads them to more to faith? How would we see? Because I'm sure there are some church members who experience that. Okay, I'm going out on a limb here. Um, I have a, uh, I know uh, a person who uh, seems to have the gift of prophecy. Um, and the reason that I really honor that person's use of that gift is because that person applies it in a way consistent with all the other things. Like it, uh, it focuses on the Word of God. It focuses on the sovereignty of God. It focuses upon the knowability of the Word of God. Uh, it focuses upon... Uh, building up the church and not dividing the church. It focuses upon uh, lowering the self instead of raising the self. And it focuses on Christ. And so it's used in such a way consistent with the actual ministry of the Holy Spirit that that person, I believe, comes really close to accurately um, using the gift of prophecy. But um, hard, this is hard to say, but I've hardly empirically seen it utilized well because oftentimes the fruit of the Holy Spirit is not there and the gift is abused to in worst cases exhort people for money or exhort people for power um, and you know oftentimes you know personal scars come out and they judge people and they hurt people and they scare people um, so uh, it's totally possible that that predictability can lead you to greater faith and so if you see a person really well exercising prophecy like in the best cases he would he, he would say um, even though they see something, let's, let's say spiritually, you know, from the Word of God, and they're like, and they wouldn't say, God tells me. They would say, brother, I believe um, out of, you know, all the evidence in Scripture and out of all the teachings uh, of Jesus uh, that this would be good advice for you, my brother. And, and I think uh, people who have uh, the fruit and the gift know how to use their words in a way where it doesn't cause people to focus on their gift even. And it's almost like, un, like not sensible that they actually have that gift or not. Uh, that's, I, I, I think, a good use of that gift. Let's say that person came to faith through one of these uh, power gifts. The scriptures does seem to limit how one uh, comes to faith. Uh, for example, uh, Romans 10 verses 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Um, and so one way in which I would explain it is that that person was able to share enough of the gospel that could cause one to be curious, could cause someone to discover more on their own, and perhaps they have come to church service and heard the gospel and that was confirmed and there might have been a, a process. Um, <laughs> you know, like... Uh, I, I can't ever verify this for sure, but um, maybe the brothers here have experienced this too when we preach, and it's a terrible sermon, right? It's just, we just bombed it. And yet, the Lord used our horrible sermons. Like, just bombed it. And, you know, God, by His mercy, was able to take that 
uh, of which I am so afraid of when too, I die. Too, <laughs> yeah. close to home, too close to <laughs> home. Too close to home for all, all the pastors here. And yet God redeemed uh, our poor efforts or poor results uh, per se. And so I think that's uh, possible too. And a very simple biblical answer, like what Paul wants us to desire, you know, prophecy uh, out of all the gifts. Um, uh, and then what's the way of validating it? He says, test it, like mm. test the gift. I see if you know um see if it's in accordance with the word of god see uh if it's honoring and edifying the church and if it's you know accurate in one sense as well um so uh, prophecy i still do believe is a, a legitimate gift it's just that it comes with so much luggage that we have to go through the whole process of you know is it defined well is it surrounded by the right parameters are there fruit in the person exercising that gift and so there's all these precautions that we take and as a pastor, my greatest fear for my flock is I'm afraid of someone just coming with a prophesying ministry and just taking all of you um, to his ministry. And he's like, uh, uh, astounds you with his accuracy, astounds you with his insight. But then you end up not knowing the gospel or not knowing the fullness of it. And so prophecy, if you ever hear about a prophetical ministry around you, please let me know so that we can uh, judge and test and see whether it's, it's, it's a good ministry, for example. I think there was in KCPC a couple of years ago how a pastor, uh, not a pastor here, I forget where, but a pastor in Korea was sharing how uh, they need to leave America, sell all their things and come to Korea because America is the new Babylon and it's going to dis be destroyed soon or something like that. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a family in KCPC that moved mm -hmm, into mm -hmm. Korea. I see. Genuinely. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember Pastor Daniel uh, ministering to this brother and just telling them not to, but they actually did. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, it's a, a interesting. Babylon, um, what are some options if we were to live during the exilic period of Israel? Uh, what are some options that we have? We, we could either flee. That's option one, flee. Uh, option two would be revolt. Uh, option two would be to, you know, have our tail between our legs and just submit to Babylonian culture. But there was another uh, direction or an option that God gives to his people. Have children, uh, you know, uh, get married. Uh, make sure that you- uh, uh, For the welfare of that city. The, yes, that's right. Uh, the welfare of that city. Uh, be light and salt. Um, in any ways, uh, sin is pervasive all over the world. Where are you going to escape Babylon? Yeah, so that, that family, you know, really could have been persuaded in the other direction if he or she had more of a holistic knowledge of Scripture, for example, by one. Uh, how to apply, you know, even just, you know, in our apologetics class, we always talk about misinterpretation of Scripture or too much of an emphasis on one thing. And so even in this case, we could talk about the Benedict option, which is to run away and create a monastery. We can talk about the progressive option, which is to become and join the culture. And there's all like five, six positions on the relationship between Christ and the culture. And if they have been informed of options, then they could start asking questions like, Pastor, is this the only option? And is it based upon this theological understanding? And is it based upon your need to preserve holiness instead of uh, being salt and light in the world? And so once again, prophecy must be tested by what? By scripture. And so out of all the gifts I really want to get to teaching is please know your scripture because uh, it by itself has the ability to sanctify and edify use of, uh, of teaching as our use of your gifts uh, so much. You will not be shaken by 
a lot of these shiny, sparkling movements if you are founded upon the Word of God um, and, and, and you're regenerated by the Holy Spirit so that you have an accurate understanding of Scripture. So, uh, yeah, that, that's a heartbreaking uh, story that I just heard. Yeah. That's the highest fruit, though, understanding the Scriptures. Um, let's talk about that. Let's talk about yeah. teaching as the next gift mm -hmm. to speak about. Well, I just want to say, if you have a gift of teaching, please become a soon leader. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> wow. Or join All-Stars. <laughs> <laughs> what does it look like to be a good teacher? Yeah. How do you know if you're a good teacher? If you're able to know Scripture well and teach it faithfully based upon a good exposition or a good exegesis, um, and a lot of that actually is confirmed by going to seminary like that, that that is something but even if you're not in seminary if you understand the word of God and are able to proclaim it faithfully uh, in light of its context um, and you just have an understanding and appreciation and love for the word uh, I think that's a very good indicator that you have the gift of teaching and people seem to understand and they seem to start producing fruit around you if you're teaching well and so uh, uh, circumstances and people around you will verify and they will be your fruit if you have a teaching gift. Yeah, I think community is a great aspect of yeah. it. And yeah. I think one of the things maybe we can talk about is how in certain ways when we look at somebody who loves ministry, who loves church, and we all know these people, mm -hmm. and we say, you should go to seminary, you should be a pastor, simply because of their love for church. Mm -hmm. But then I think there might be, especially in the Korean American church, when it comes to teaching, I don't know if that's a criteria that many leaders and pastors say. Mm -hmm. I'm not even just talking about pastors, I'm talking about even like, you know, people and peers. Oh, you love church, you're so passionate for church, you should become a pastor. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where what might be missing when it comes to criteria for, you know, really sending people to seminary. Do you have the gift of teaching? And I think part yeah. of the community, having someone genuinely honest, yeah. not just an echo chamber, and not to say that you need to be perfect in teaching, but having at least the right direction. There are, you know, you're teachable first, and also you have this gifting where you're able to communicate in such a way where people can understand and re receive a lot of things that you're sh sharing. Yeah, I mean, if you're a pastor, you need the gift of teaching. But even if you're not a pastor, it is a wonderful gift to ascribe for. <laughs> so, I think Tim Keller is really helpful in that. Uh, you have the desire, first of all, to want to teach. Mm -hmm. uh, you have the uh, opportunity to teach. Mm -hmm. uh, also, are you responsible? Uh, you know, are you um, at, at a stage in your life that you can teach? Uh, I want to join the MBA, but, uh, you know, due to uh, whatever, I can't. And so, <laughs> um, yes, uh, you have to know your affinity, ability, responsibility, opportunity, all of these things should come in together. I'm also on the side where I feel like you don't need seminary to know uh, to do these things. I, I think that um, you know to go and get your MDiv. I guess I would put myself in the traditionalist camp. If you're going to get your MDiv, you're pretty much going in for ministry as a as a pastor. Um, and um, beyond that, I don't know if that's necessary. And so, yes, I don't think you need to go uh, to uh, ministry. Uh, or excuse me, to seminary to see if you can utilize uh, the giftings. For example, uh, yes, attend the uh, apologetics camp. If you're really interested in uh, being a teacher, you should be a good student as well. All these like cliches and um, um, 
uh, still applicable here today. Uh, we also have different programs here at KCPC called 2-7 Discipleship Training. And so uh, you'll learn, take those classes, and you'll learn how to disciple others. And ultimately, it's not about the degree. It's about sharing Christ and his person, character, work, love, and being equipped in that way. Out of all the gifts, personally, I would desire my congregation members to have this gift above all else. And so, like, I just want to ask you, like, if that's the same for you, and if so, like, why do we desire the gift of teaching to be prevalent in our congregation? Um, and I'll just start with that. I mean, I want everyone to have this gift because how does salvation come? It comes from hearing the Word of God. And if people teach and preach and, and even just, you know, saying the, the Word of God, uh, reciting it, uh, does lead to salvation. And so if you want a church to be filled with people who are actually saved, you need people who share and talk about and teach the Word of God everywhere. And so to be for the church to be the church, the Word of God must be uh, within its members. Um, so, uh, you know, please love Scripture. Um, it's not the, this is not the flashiest gift. It looks like the most common gift, but trust me, there is nothing more supernatural than a person coming to say that they believe the gospel and they trust in Christ and they're willing to teach it and live according to it. That is the most supernatural thing I've seen. And so please desire uh, this gift of knowing God's word, loving it, and teaching it. If you had to choose, if you had to choose, not that I see that in the scriptures, but if you had to choose and you could choose, yes, teaching. Uh, because now we're talking about the word of God. Yeah. But boy, I mean, like... We just can't have only teachers. Yeah, <laughs> We're not going to do anything. And also, uh, it's not just speaking the truth, but also living it out. I think th those are beautiful expressions. And I, th I feel like, um, yeah, uh, you know, teaching or even gifts of serving, do you not teach in your gifts of serving? And do you also not serve in your gift of teaching? And so a we're just, yeah, a lot of overlap. And we're just simply talking about more leanings, right? Maybe you're more of a leaning towards like... Uh, teaching or more leaning towards uh, the gift of service. What I think would be a tragedy, not that this would happen probably, but it's just like, I can't serve you. I, I'm only at the gift of teaching. Uh, you should go to that department over there. Um, I, I think that would be kind of ridiculous. Um, but yes, if you had to choose, choose teaching because you're going into uh, the Word of God. But yeah, I think that's what makes our church really beautiful is that we have a plethora of people just um, uh, utilizing and exercising a multiple of their gifts, teaching and serving. It just uh, goes to show Pastor David who he is. He's a, he's a, <laughs> no, he's a professor. He, he's a professor. But I mean, let me challenge you this way. I mean, even logically speaking, uh, without the gift of teaching, people wouldn't be equipped and trained well in their other gifts because scripture is a foundation of how you fi find out and test and discern these other gifts as well. And so if you are filled with the gift of teaching, Around you will be people filled with other spiritual gifts because you've helped them discover it. So once again, I, I believe like even logically, it, it's pretty foundational to a lot of our work. So. Yes, uh, <laughs> that's absolutely correct. I mean, that's why if you had to choose, you must choose teaching. Yeah. Charles Spurgeon, if I'm not mistaken, this might be just a meme, <laughs> but it sounded really good. Um, we ought to focus on how we live. If we want to validate or to see if what we teach is what we actually believe. You know, anybody can teach well, sure, but how many of us, even as pastors, we know how to teach, but we don't know how to live it out? You know, it's pretty horrible. 
uh, and scary, frightening. I, I actually do believe that when people go to heaven or at the gates of heaven, they're like, Lord, I, I served you. I think a lot of pastors might even say like, Lord, I was there for you. I did communion. I did baptism. I did all of these things. And how horrifying would it be if Jesus said, I never knew you. Mm. Um, and so uh, these, these, these are good gifts because they come from the Father of Lights, Jesus. And um, yeah, uh, let's strive for all of these things. I visited a soon yesterday, and uh, the soon uh, members asked me, Pastor David, what's your, what's your prayer request? And, and this is what I asked, and this is what I'll probably ask for all of us. Uh, I asked, please pray uh, that Pastor David was take, would take his own medicine after preaching, <laughs> that he would apply mm. the word that he himself proclaimed. Uh, so once again, teaching is accompanied by a responsibility to uh, live it out. Thank you, brothers. And uh, we, we only went through three. <laughs> <laughs> I guess well, this is a good. Part three coming up, I guess. Part yeah. three. We'll continue and finish this off. I think this is a great conversation that we've been having. And so we hope that is was encouraging it to you as well. Please send any questions to podcast at kcvs.org. We want to hear more questions. Please, if you have any disagreements or you feel like we were lacking in something, please let us know. Uh, John, can you pray for us? Yes. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that uh, your word as it says in James chapter 1, verse 17, that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And so, Father, may we not just focus on the gifts themselves, but the giver. Father, uh, what an important uh, conversation. All the brothers here have uh, agreed unanimously that uh, this is uh, the gifts of the Spirit are the secondary issues, but yet these are um, issues because, a good, important issues because they reflect who our Lord and Savior, our Creator, our Master, who He is and what He has done for us. And so, Father, we take great delight. We pray, Lord, for protection over the universal body of the church, uh, that there may not be division, but in the diversity of gifts, Father, that we would build one another up, and that our churches would be marked with a distinct unity upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, uh, I pray that this would just uh, really further our study of your word uh, through these uh, wonderful topics. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, that concludes our time, and we thank you for tuning in. Please email any questions or feedback at podcast at kcbc.org. We would love to hear how you've been encouraged and blessed. Until next time, bye.